Hey, fourth grade, Mrs. Harms here. Just wanted to remind you that you need to write one true fact in response on Buzz after you listen to each episode of The Captain's Dog. So don't forget to do that. You can just put it right in the comment box. Happy listening! The Captain's Dog, Episode 2 When I met the captain, I had been with Brady for nearly a year as he hauled goods up and down rivers on his small barge. We had been docked in Pittsburgh for two weeks, waiting for a load. The afternoon Captain Merriweather Lewis arrived to check on the men building his keelboat. I liked the cut of his jib, as the sailors said. There was a ruggedness beneath his gentlemanly clothes. He was a tall, handsome man with his br- with brown hair. His eyes were sharp and intelligent, with a hint of sadness he could not quite disguise. I wanted to do something to cheer him up, so I dropped the big rat I had just killed at his feet. This must have left a good impression, because Captain Lewis marched right over to Brady's boat and said, "'I want to buy this Newfoundland pup.' I was hardly a pup, being at the time fourteen months old, but I was impressed with his knowing an outstanding canine when he saw one, a skill Brady did not have. "'He's not for sale,' Brady said, scratching his scraggly, tobacco-stained beard. Just a week earlier, Brady had been complaining to his pals about the cost of feeding me, and asked if any of them wanted to take me off his hands for free. "'I've been looking for a dog,' Captain Lewis said. "'Are you sure I can't convince you to sell him?' "'He's an awful good ratter. I'm going to keep him around.' Brady had no idea how good I was at catching rats, as he only let me off my rope a few minutes each day so I didn't foul his deck. I despised being tied up, but I always returned to the barge when Brady whistled. Not because I was fond of the man, but because I was afraid of the consequences if I didn't return. Brady had a terrible temper, and was quick and accurate with the horse quirt he always carried. To keep you obedient, runt, as he so prettily put it, "'I'll give you five dollars for him,' Captain Lewis said. Brady laughed. "'Even if he were for sale, I wouldn't part with him for such a paltry sum. "'A fine noof like this? And smart? He does whatever I say.' Ten dollars. "'Sir, you insult me.' Fifteen dollars. Brady did not agree to the price, but he looked much less insulted." He told the captain how he had travelled to Newfoundland, personally, at great risk and expense to pick me out of the litter. "'Can't trust nobody for an important decision like that. Champion here cost me a fortune, but he was worth every penny.' "'So now my name was Champion. I liked it, but the name was not destined to last long.' "'He saved me from drowning three times,' Brady continued. "'How can you put a price on that?' I had not saved him once, and I wasn't sure that I would if the opportunity arose. It was clear that the captain did not believe Brady for a second, but he pulled into it. But he reached into his purse and pulled out two ten-dollar gold pieces and bounced them in the palm of his hand, saying, "'My absolute final offer is twenty dollars. Done!' Brady snatched the coins from the captain's hand like a hungry gull after a minnow. Captain Lewis got down on one knee and scratched me behind my ears. He seemed well pleased with the far- with the bargain. I hoped he remained that way. "'Now that he's yours, what do you plan to do with him?' Brady asked, more out of curiosity than concern. 
He'll be going to the Pacific Ocean with me and back. Brady looked across the yard at the half-completed keelboat. In that? The captain nodded. With all due respect, sir, the craft you're building is not seaworthy. Not by a long shot. It will never round the Cape. You'll be lucky if it doesn't founder with the first ocean swell that strikes it. Not going by sea, Captain Lewis said. I'm going down the Ohio, up the Mississippi and the Missouri, and from there— Ah, so it's the Northwest Passage you're looking for, Captain nodded, among other things. They say there's nothing out in that wilderness but red savages, monstrous animals, and disease, Brady said, warming up to the subject. No one has ever— Captain Lewis ignored Brady and turned his full attention to me. I'll call you seamen, he said. Before this is all over, you will have seen both the Atlantic and the Pacific Oceans. So I went from Rund to Champion to Seaman in the span of a few minutes. You'll be needing a rope to tie him up with, Brady said. I have one on the barge. I will not need a rope. Let's go, Seaman. After the keelboat was completed, we took it down the Ohio River to Clarksville, in the Indiana Territory, where Captain William Clark joined us. Captain Clark was a red-headed man, cut from the same sturdy material as Captain Lewis. Both men, both men were hard-muscled and six feet tall. They complimented each other in just about everything. Captain Clark was a better boatman than Captain Lewis. Captain Lewis was a better navigator. Captain Clark was a better map-maker. Captain Lewis was a better botanist and biologist. Captain Clark took comfort in the company of men, talked easily with them, and enjoyed a good laugh. Captain Lewis was partial to solitude, a man of few words, but there was strength in those long silences. What one lacked, the other had. Our tribe would have two chiefs, but they would lead as one. From Clarksville we traveled up the Mississippi to St. Louis, and from there to Wood River, where we wintered with the men the captains had recruited along the way. In those days, and the many that followed, the only rope the captain needed was my devotion, and the time we started up the Missouri— he thought he certainly had that. That day, sitting on the bluff, was the first time I saw the red book. He pulled it out of his knapsack and started scratching words on the first page with that little spear he dipped in the black water called ink. Sometimes he stopped scratching and looked down at the muddy river with a look of contentment. After an hour or so, he closed the book and put it back in his knapsack. "'We better go check on the men,' he said, starting back down the trail to the river. "'The winding trail was more like a ledge than a trail, not much wider than I was long. "'Below the ledge was a sheer drop of nearly two hundred feet. "'I ran ahead of the captain, thinking that if I hurried I would have time to sniff around for that mouse near the hickory. "'As I rounded the first bend, I glanced back to see how far the captain was behind me, "'and saw the ledge he was walking on suddenly give way.' He disappeared from view. I was so stunned that for a moment I just stood there staring at the spot. When my wits returned, I hurried over to the edge, expecting to see his broken body on the rocks below. But Captain Lewis was alive. Somehow he had managed to pull the knife from his scabbard and stick the long blade into the cliff face to stop his fall. He was hanging about twenty feet below me, in a very precarious position. Gingerly, he squirmed around until he found an outcrop with his moccasins and got his legs under him. He looked up 
and must have noticed the worry on my face, because he gave me a reassuring grin and said, "'Everything's fine, see. With a little luck I'll be with you presently.' Using his knife, he clawed his way back and pulled himself up over the edge. He sat there for a few seconds gathering himself. When he caught his breath, he said, "'And that, my dear C, is why we have two captains on this journey.'"